welcome to the Your Pastor Reads Books podcast, a podcast for Christians of all stripes where you'll hear ministers discuss their love of reading and the specific books that are shaping them to be wholehearted followers of Jesus and better givers of spiritual care to others. I'm your host, Heather Weber, and I hope you enjoy our first season of conversations with ministers about the books that they read. Today's guest, Melanie Rassinen, is a worship pastor on staff at Faith Assembly of God in Elk Run Heights, a small church in small town Iowa. Born and raised in Iowa, Melanie's been following Jesus since the age of five. After growing up in a Baptist church, she married the son of a Pentecostal preacher and has been actively involved in ministry and leadership in the Assemblies of God ever since. She is the mother of three children and will celebrate 20 years of marriage with her husband this spring. Fun fact about Melanie, she served on her town's library board for 10 years. Today we talk about Ruth Haley Barton's book, Solitude and Silence, Experiencing God's Presence. Melanie talks about the power of story in her own life, and then we delve into the book and the way it challenges readers to pause our busyness long enough to experience God's presence in a culture that is always hustling. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Melanie, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm uh, honored to be a part of this. Melanie, I am I love the diversity of all of our guests on the show. Uh, We have people in different kinds of positions of ministry, different kinds of pastors, um, people who do a lot of ministry stuff online. Um, You are a worship pastor and you said at a small church in a small town. And I wonder if you could just like tell our listeners about like what ministry means to you. Like what, what parts of ministry do you find most meaningful? Uh, yeah. Could you share with us something about that? Well, as a worship leader, I think one of my favorite moments, I suppose, is really when the entire congregation is wholeheartedly engaged in a worship song, when they're singing loudly and you can really just sense the presence of God in the place and uh, just sense sort of the unity in the room. Um, it's really an absolute privilege and and treasure to be a part of. Um, I love that I'm able to do what I do. I think that music is one of those few things in life, um, like other than food (laughs) that can really evoke, um, strong reaction, strong emotion, really more than um, just the spoken word or or something something like that. Thank you. Yeah, I I'm thinking about what you said about unity and getting everyone in a room who's unified in worship of one God, right? And for the moment, they're unified. And I think so often one of the problems in the church is that we lack unity, right? And so mm-hmm. you kind of get a cool opportunity as a leader to invite people in a unifying experience or into a unifying experience. We have so many things that separate us that we're different on, but I feel like it's this great privilege. It's you can come together 
in unity where we're all focused on one thing, worshiping God, right? You know, it's where we can come together and focus on the things that we do um, agree with and are important to us and uh, important part of our lives. And actually, I was reading, there's research that actually shows that singing together um, not only obviously has spiritual positive implications, but physical ones too. Mm. Um, they have they have found that even in choirs, um, people's heart rates start to to match, start to mirror, start. I mean, so there's wow. literally physiological implications and um, music can lower your your blood pressure. It can help your immune system. It can do all sorts of things. So, um, you know, scripture tells us all over to sing and praise and encourage each other with hymns and songs. And, um, obviously not only do things glorify God, but they're good for us too. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. I, I was just thinking, I got an email from a local, a theater company inviting people out to sing, you know, holiday songs or whatever, but just like anyone's invited. And I was thinking that's not necessarily a religious context or a Christian worship context, but just how meaningful and important that can be no matter what your faith, like singing with other people. That's really, that's really cool. But then of course, like when it's a matter of worship, it's all the more meaningful to us as believers. And so um, music is art and books are an art form. And I realized that you were a book lover when we were at a retreat together this past fall. And you just kept mentioning book titles. And most of them were book titles I had just read recently or in the last (laughs) few years. And I was like, what? What? Who is she? Like, yeah, like, this is amazing. And so we were able to just talk, uh, talk about some of the things that that you read. And I was wondering, I mean, how did you become such a reader? Um, well, honestly, as a young child, I wasn't much of a reader at all. Um, so for any parents out there listening that are concerned about their children, I would tell you, take heart, there's hope. Um, because I was not a reader. My sister was, I, I was not. Um, it wasn't until high school, somewhere in my early teen years, I was staying at my aunt's house for a week and she found an old set of books that her daughter had left behind and offered them to me. And without a lot of other things to do, I picked up a book and I read it. And for the first time in my life, I couldn't put it down until I finished it. And, um, by the end of the week, I had read the entire series. Um, before, before that, I don't know that books had really caught me or caught my attention, but in these particular ones, I really felt engaged, um, with the characters. Uh, these particular books were about a bunch of high school kids, mainly, uh, one, one high school girl and her ever changing and deepening relationship with God, her family, her friends. And I really connected with that. Hmm. Um, I'm really curious. Are you, is it okay to say the title or? Yeah. I think, I think yeah. so. So yeah. I um, it was, know if you're like, oh, I'm too embarrassed that I like those books. Or, well, yeah. so it was, um, it was the Christine Miller series by Robin Jones Gunn and it, okay. it's designed for teenage girls. That's who mm-hmm. it was written for. Um, and actually that author has since, uh, continued to write, 
a spinoff series. So she follows mm-hmm. a lot of the characters and gives them their own series. And they have, you know, the college years and then the married mm. years and the ba- baby years wow. and so on and so oh, forth. Okay, okay. Um, but, you know, I know in the world of of literature, Christian fiction has a lot of critics mm. and I get that. But the mm. thing that I would like to maybe sort of remind people or point out is there is power in story. Mm. And we think about how often Jesus spoke in parables as a young kid, I mean, I connected with the characters, their struggles, um, their relationships with God uh, in a far more profound way than any sermon or devotional could have. Mm. And that's just the the power of story. Um, And I also think an important piece of that puzzle in the development um, is not necessarily about how brilliant a writer someone is, about how amazing the book is, but it's more about the timing of mm. when it lands in your hands. Mm. Um, and I think God's perfect timing, it just never ceases to amaze me that as I'm going through something, I'm going to find a book with characters who are struggling with the same thing or find mm. an author who's walked through what I'm going through. Wow. And it's really more about the timing. So that's that's where it started. It started with a couple of teenage Christian fiction wow. books and, and something that I could relate to and connect with and branched out from there. Yeah, I love that. And I love what you said about timing because there I have a bookshelf with lots of unread books and I'll sometimes have seasons and situations where I'm like, I need a book about this. Like I need to hear someone's story about this and I can't find that story, you know? And if I could find that story, it would be so helpful. And then there are seasons where I do, I stumble across it and I'm like, I had no idea that this is the thing I needed right now. Right. That's good. I too have a pile of books. Um, Like I have a giant list of books I want to read and I, you know, time is always a struggle, but there's also a, a relative peace after this many years of experience. Like I'll get to it when it's right. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like <laughs> when the time yeah. is right. That's so. good. That's good. Yeah. And I've, I've heard there are benefits. I think there, I don't know if this was a New York Times article or not. If it was, I'll link it in the show notes. But um, there was an article out within the last few years about the benefits of having, I think they called it the anti-library, like the library of books that you haven't read yet. And I think they said one of the benefits of that was just to remind you to stay curious, remind you that there's a lot you still don't know. And, um, but I think you're right. We can't, can't put pressure on ourselves to artificially sort of like, get these all read in a certain period of time. Right. We have to be realistic. You know, yeah. we are, we are where we are and with limited resources and yeah. time. So. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, so how old are your kids? My oldest is 13. My middle child is 11 and my youngest just turned eight. Okay. So are you doing much reading with them now or do you, are they sort of on their own with books? A little bit of both. Um, so as kids, as littles, um, I mean, I remember we read Claire Friedman's uh, Snuggle Up Sleepy Ones so many times. Everyone in the house can recite mm-hmm. it by heart. Um, I read to them some of the really classics, you know, like the C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia mm-hmm. series like that. Um, and I read them together. My my son is the most avid reader I've ever met. He reads more than any kid I've ever met. And so he has far surpassed me. I can't keep up with him. (laughs) He he reads way more than I do. Um, And my oldest daughter is kind of off on her own. So I I used to have this 
ridiculous idea that I was going to pre-read everything my kids read. And I wish I would have just thrown that idea out the window because that was just such pressure and such ridiculous. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The beautiful thing is that they're getting to a point where if they do encounter something controversial or something not uplifting or something, they have been, um, they've come to us and they've Mm. talked to us and they've, it's started really great conversations about Mm. these things. Mm. Um, my youngest, I, right now we're currently making our way through the Ramona series for the second time. I love Ramona. Um, she, she loves that. Another one that we did together was, uh, the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. Um, that was a really fun one. Yeah. And so we've done a lot of reading together as small children. And I feel like there's a redemption piece in that because I look back at my childhood and I kind of regret, I wish I would have read more. I wish Mm -hmm. I could go back in time and tell myself to read, but to be able to see my kids have that gift and that treasure um, and really love reading um, is is sort of that redemption piece of the story. So that's so good. I I appreciate you saying that. We spent so many hours reading out loud to our kids. We did Narnia. We did Mysterious Benedict Society. We did uh, the mysterious or what an unfortunate series of mysterious events by Lemony Snicket. Sure. And sure, yeah. Yeah. So all of those. And now my kids are old enough; they don't want me to read out loud to them. But I felt like I experienced a little bit of childhood too because. I, I did read as a kid, but I wasn't like immersed in reading until about, until about sixth grade, fifth or sixth grade. Then I was like really immersed, but I love that. It's so great. And you guys have, you guys have kind of like family lore, right? Because you share these stories. So tell us about the book um, you wanted to share on the show today. Yes. Um, the book I, love to talk about is called Invitation to Solitude and Silence, Experiencing God's Transforming Presence by Ruth Haley Barton. Um, In the most simplistic of terms, it is an invitation to the most uncommonly practiced, the most challenging, the most needed, and the least experienced of all the disciplines among evangelical Christians, um, which is solitude and silence. Um, We are a very busy and wordy people. Um, Barton says in the book, um, I'll just read this. It says, with all of our emphasis on theology and word, we are starved for mystery, for intimacy, to see and feel and know God in the very cells of our being. We are starved for rest, to know God beyond what we can do for him. We're starved for quiet, to hear the sound of sheer silence that is the presence of God himself. The invitation to solitude and silence is an invitation to all of this. Um, In the book, Ruth shares about her journey into solitude and silence and all of the factors that pulled her into it, namely desperation (laughs) and and a little desire. Um, I love it because she offers a lot of practical advice and tips for others to begin this sacred journey. Um, she also found the account of Elijah in first Kings chapter 19, um, to be incredibly deeply reassuring to her and uses it as sort of a guide and companion all throughout the book as, as she goes through her chapters. Um, the book addresses our need of rest for the body, for the mind and the soul, um, 
She also tackles several hurdles we will very likely encounter, including distractions, our fast-paced lives, our worries, fears, exhaustions, um, which she actually goes on further to explain and calls dangerously tired. Excuse me. Um, She talks about just the basics of facing the truth of ourselves, (laughs) who we are exactly as we are, which can be sort of a scary thing. Um, But then she describes this beautiful place of solitude and silence where ultimately we are ushered into the presence of God. Um, And it's because in his presence, when we are in the presence of the most high God, that we can finally receive the rest, the love, the acceptance, the healing, the guidance, and and the strength that we need. Um, And basically she suggests there's nothing that transforms like the presence of God. Mm -hmm. Um, At the close of every chapter, she gives an invitation for practice. She lists ways to begin to put these elements into practice on a regular basis. Um, She also addresses some common doubts and concerns or feeling like it's not going well or that you're not doing it right, which for me is especially helpful because I'm constantly wondering if I'm doing it right. I'm not sure. Like, is this what it's supposed to be like? And (laughs) she really addresses that, um, which, which I appreciate. Uh, And the new expanded version actually includes uh, group guides. Hmm. If you wanted to use it as a tool for retreats or, or group studies. So, well, so, so this topic of invitation uh, to solitude and silence or just solitude and silence in general, um, mm-hmm. you mentioned like, like it's not practiced very much in evangel- what we might call evangelical Christianity, right? I think it's like starting to get a little more traction, but solitude and silence were practices that like predate, uh, you know, Western Christianity, right? Oh, like the for desert, sure. desert fathers and mothers <laughs> and, you know, uh, whole communities set aside to practice solitude and silence. But I have found, and I don't know if this is you or not, but I have found when I, what, what Ruth Haley Barton tends to write, uh, is deeply appreciated by the people who have been desperate for mm-hmm. what she has to say. Mm-hmm. And I find that many people I talk to about these books are not that interested in, say, a book about solitude and silence or a book about retreating or a book about Sabbath um, when they're not desperate, like when they're not like burnt out or dangerously tired, because I think the culture of ministry in the United States is go, 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 go. Absolutely. Do, 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 do. So what got you to this place where you said, I need to read this book? Or did you just stumble upon it and think, oh, I need this? (laughs) Uh, Well, those are interesting comments because that's exactly what what Ruth kind of says is it was desperation that got her there, Mm. you know? Um, And for me, it was actually... Uh, gifted to me, uh, Christmas gift for, or my birthday gift or something like that from my, my sister-in-law. Um, but as I sort of, as it landed in my hands, it became obvious that this was something that, mm-hmm. that I needed. Um, as you said, yes, our, our culture, even Christian religious subculture it's all about push, push, push. It's all about work and serve and do. It's it's we we practically idolize the busyness. Um, we 
which is crazy <laughs> um, yeah. that we've swung so far the other the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, again, it's just sort of trusting that books land in my hands, but mm. it, I'm also able to, okay, so this is going to sound silly. So when I was, when I had really, really young kids and my husband would ask me what I wanted for my birthday, um, the only thing that I wanted, I said, I just want some alone time. I just need to be alone. Yeah. I just, uh, and so once a year, like every year on my birthday, I would go away and it was just the most refreshing time that I could have for prayer and mm. for journaling and for quiet time. And so I knew how great those birthday days were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and as you mentioned, yeah, I've had multiple seasons of life where I have found myself overwhelmed exhausted past my limits. I, I hear that. I mean, I don't, I don't know a minister who hasn't had those seasons. I just don't know if we all know what to do. You know what I mean? If if we all know what to do. And I, um, I should like say just for those who are listening that I have read this book invitation to solitude and silence. And, and I just finished Ruth Haley Barton's book on Sabbath, which just came out in 2022. And so I'm like, I'm on your page, Melanie. I'm like, I'm on the same wavelength. I'm writing it with you. So how, what does this look like for you to incorporate a practice of solitude and silence into your life? And like, how is that shaping you as a follower of Jesus? Maybe sort of, can I back up a tiny bit? Sure. And this is going to sound strange, but it was like, I needed someone to give me permission to do something so countercultural. Um, I needed someone to tell me how to do it. I needed permission. I am such a Martha um, that I needed permission to be a Mary, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so when, <laughs> when I read a book, I, um, I tend to underline or mark up meaningful passages um, and write my notes and reactions like in the margins. And if that is any clue to the impact that this book has had on my life, um, I marked up every single chapter of the book. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) There was something in all the chapters that really got me. Um, you know, we really, as a culture devalue nonproductive times. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't even tell you how many, how many like hustle t-shirts have you seen? Oh my right? gosh. Yes. <laughs> Eat, pray, hustle. Right. Right. Yes. Um, I have struggled for years, uh, prioritizing being over doing, um, the imagery from this book that impacted me really right away was the jar of river water. Um, just as her spiritual director said to her, I felt like God was very clearly saying to me, Melanie, you are like a jar of river water all shaken up. What you need is to sit still long enough that the settlement can settle settle, and the water can become clear. Hmm. This resonated so deeply with me. Um, I even filled up an empty jar and shook it up <laughs> Wow! and, and kind of, you know, watched it settle. Well, technically periodically checked on it because it took several hours before it really settled. Um, but, you know, as I mentioned before, like Ruth, there was really an, an element of desperation that drew me to it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I couldn't see anything clearly. Um, the busyness, the emotions, the thoughts, the chaos that were all just swirling inside me. I, I couldn't, I could barely fathom the idea of sitting in stillness and being quiet long enough to hear my own thoughts, mm. let alone to have some profound revelation from God. Mm. Um, but it was when I started to quietly sit in God's presence that all of the sediment that was swirling in my soul began to settle. Um, and I was really encouraged. I really liked, I think she said something like be still and the knowing will come. Um, you know, the, the verse that we all know, be still and know that I am God, but how so often we want to know God, but we aren't still, <laughs> we aren't still long enough to do it. Um, and so practically speaking, I, at first it was a little scary because I could hardly imagine quiet time with God without an agenda, without a prayer list, without a study plan, without a worship song, but just silence before God. Mm -hmm. my, my, my brain is moving like a speeding, rushing train. Like I can't fathom like coming to a screeching halt for that. Right. Um, but I'm learning that clarity and so many of these other things that I'm searching for um, they're not going to come from more striving. They're going to come when I cease striving. Uh, when I pause long enough to really hear God and experience. And that's where I feel like I'm starting to find those breakthroughs. Um, like I said, she draws from Elijah so many times, but it wasn't in the wind, the earthquake, the fire. It was in the still small voice. Mm. Um, and I'm learning that sometimes that means literally and physically being still and quiet for the chaos to die down, mm -hmm. for the sediment to settle so that I can hear what God's really saying. How long does that usually take you in a, like in a day or in a, in a mo in a time of being quiet? Like how sure. long does that take to, for the sediment to settle? So first of all, I'm still, I would tell, I would say that I'm still very new at this. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I'm pretty early on in these stages. And I would say it's a hundred percent circumstantial because <laughs> there are times where I've had an entire day and I feel like the first half of the day, I couldn't settle down, right? The distractions, the noise of the day, you know, I had one day where I, I my husband knew I was going away and I started to get all these work calls, work calls popping through. I was like, what is going on? They know this is my day. And one of the guys got hurt at work and I had to call the hospital. Do you know what I'm saying? Wow. Like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Now might be a good time to mention you also like work for the family business, right? Yes. Like, yes. so you are bivocational. You're the worship pastor, but then do you do, do you do admin and books for? Yes. So my husband and I yeah. own a small construction okay. business. We build houses and do remodels. And I've, I've been doing the primary um, the office work and, oh you know, taxes and, and HR and all of wow. those things. So you've got all these things pulling mm -hmm. at you. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So, sorry, I interrupted you, but I just want to no. clarify. No. And so, um, so sometimes like a whole day doesn't even feel like it's long enough. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are other times where like some, okay, so something will happen, something that is upsetting, something that is heartbreaking. You feel betrayed or frustrated, like some circumstance is happening and you're a mess, right? And yeah. you're just angry and upset and I'm getting better. I'm getting better at this, 
um, where I'm like, you know what, this is, these are my red flags. This is my, I need to withdraw Mm. right now. Mm. And, and so sometimes just withdrawing for even like when you're in those intense moments, like a half an hour is enough where God does this just amazing. I can't call it anything but a miracle work in my heart, if that makes sense, Mm. you know, just to Mm -hmm. sort of, and I can walk forward with it. Um, I, I think that there are times where it's real short. I love that her standards, uh, Ruth Haley Barton suggests like, start with just like 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) start with just like 10 minutes. And it's just more about consistency Mm -hmm. than it is about, you know, these grand lengths of time. Um, I have found that those are a great way to sort of re- recenter, reconnect, Mm -hmm. you know, those 10, those 10 minute things. I don't think like the 10 minute times, I don't think I'm experiencing something like dramatically profound, life-changing, miraculous, Mm -hmm. but just sort of a recentering, a calming, a, so that I'm moving out of a place of, of, of calm and rest and peace. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of like, it kind of forces you to allow all of the things that are flying around in your brain. It, it, it's, it's almost like it is a discipline, right? Of allowing Mm -hmm. those things to settle and just be aware of God with us. And that I think when, when I'm doing that and I can go forward in my day, it's easier for me to retain that sense of God with me. And I, I can let things settle and I don't need to let them fly. I mean, albeit like, I'm not perfect at this either. Um, I remember when I first started dabbling in solitude and silence, I don't know, like maybe eight or 10 years ago. And I remember setting the timer for five minutes and I had such anxiety. Like how mm-hmm. could I sit still for, I don't know if you relate to that, but like, Oh, absolutely. How, how could I sit still for five minutes? And yet mm-hmm. God met me. Like I, it was life-changing and, and like you say, it's not life-changing every time I'm quiet for five minutes, but when you do it for the first time or the, you know, or the 10th <laughs> time, it just might be life-changing. Yeah, no, I can absolutely relate. My, my pace of life is, is usually very fast. I generally don't sit down. Uh, most of the time, if I, especially like if I'm working in the office, um, I don't even take a lunch break, right? You know what I mean? I I just Mm -hmm. push, push, you know, you just go through it. And so then it's finally like when you do settle down, you almost feel like that crashing train, that rushing train um, that's screeching. And Mm -hmm. um, I am such a time management. uh, (laughs) uh, I'm, I'm so worried about time. I'm always feeling about the pressure of time, five minutes. Like, how Mm. can I just sit and do nothing for Mm. five minutes? Mm -hmm. Um, so no, absolutely. I can, I can relate to that, but, um, I feel like when I've been able to give God those, those minutes or even more so like the longer, the longer times, like if you have like a whole day, I feel like that's where God can do the really deep work. Um, that, that can only be done in one's soul when you finally give him the undivided attention and room and space to work. 
right? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, because you you need those shorter times, but you also need longer times, right? Just right. like like if you're married or you have a really close friendship, 10 minutes does not sustain a close friendship, right? Or a marriage right. here and there. You have to have times where there's a deeper time of connecting with a friend or with a spouse. So as we're talking about all this and I'm reflecting upon just the culture of Christian ministry in the West or America, I guess, and how it seems that when pastors are running, 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 and there's this culture of doing, um, it means that uh, the people in the congregations are kind of pulled into a pattern of doing, doing, doing as well. And, uh, and I wonder, like, as you're discovering this, how has it changed how you want to relate to the people that you lead? How has it changed? If it's changed anything practical, I'm curious about your thoughts about that. Um, yes. So, <laughs> Um, this is gonna, this might sound overly simplistic. Um, but I might say, for example, to my children, mommy will be a better mommy if she has some alone time with God. (laughs) And, um, in the same way you might say, Melanie will be a better pastor and worship leader if she has some alone time with God. Um, because time with God and in his presence is so transformational. I feel like as, as I've begun this journey, as I lead in worship, I can more easily let go of distractions mm. and chatter and focus my whole being in, mm. in worship. Um, I can lead from a place of rest instead mm. of exhaustion. Um, I can handle the ebbs and flows of ministry with a little bit more uh, patience and clarity mm. Um, and I feel like as I'm filled, then I can pour out of my abundance and not any of this cup half empty stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I do feel like there is a huge difference when I'm leading, um, while fighting internal chaos and distractions. Mm-hmm. And when I'm leading from a place of refreshment and, mm-hmm. and gratitude, um, and I think, I think people can tell, I, I think that people are beginning to notice, mm-hmm. um, in, in the way and the difference that I lead. And I mean, I feel it too, you know, after a worship service and you're like, wow, you know, where everybody was just engaged. Right. You know, and, Mm -hmm. and I think it's easier for the congregation when, when I'm there, right. For them to enter in as well. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, sometimes the Pentecostal worship experience, like we're both Pentecostal in theology, but sometimes like the cultural experience of Pentecostal worship is very like, it can get amped up, you know, like, and sometimes I'm in a worship service where what I mean is it can get amped up in not an organic way, mm-hmm. uh, but like, it's supposed to be amped up. Like we have to like work hard for this <laughs> to be like experiential for everyone. But it sounds like what you're saying is that and I'm not saying you operated that way before, but like, it sounds like what you're saying is you don't actually have to try to hype anything up like, or hype other people up, but like you are just there and able to be more present and your worship is genuine and authentic. And because of that, it's pulling people in. And if they're hyped up, it's because God's doing something in their hearts. Right. 
Right, right. So has anybody said anything to you about worship, about how the worship has been or the worship times have been ever since you started practicing this more? Well, yes and no. I don't personally get a ton of feedback, but mm. recently I have had several people who have never commented to me, never before, like in the last month or two, just mm. like, thank you. That was so like, that was you know what I mean? Like that was so good. I could just really sense God, you know, or, or, or maybe like what you said that was just for me, you know, Mm. things like this, Mm. um, people that don't, aren't normally, you know, their compliments aren't just given freely. Um, and, um, and even my pastor has said, he's had a lot of really positive feedback. Um, so I feel like something, you know, God is doing something and, you know, I, I definitely, it's, it's not me because, um, you know, I'm not the world's greatest musician. I'm not the world's greatest leader, you know, and, but, but I feel like when you faithfully show up, when you're consistently spending that time with God, mm-hmm. that he, that he honors that and that he, that there's fruit that, yeah. that you see bearing from that. Yeah, so. absolutely. And I, I mean, it, it deepens our worship. I think it, it helps us connect better when we're worshiping. And like you say, there's just like this overflow. It affects the people we're leading. Right. Right. Um, right. So is this book for every believer, Melanie, or like, why would you encourage people to read this book? Um, very good question. Um, so can I throw a little disclaimer out there first? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like there are very few books, if any, um, that I have 100% agreed with every single sentence, every single paragraph, every single thought, every single idea. (laughs) I don't know that a a book like that uh, exists. I don't know that there's a speaker out there or a a preacher out there. Um, And I think the same thing would be true for me if someone knew about everything that I ever said and did and believed, (laughs) right? Yeah. Uh, Because we're all human and we all have flaws and um, misconceptions. Mm -hmm. But even knowing that, it doesn't mean that we can't enthusiastically recommend a book, you know, or sermon or teacher. Um, I also love the passage in first Thessalonians um, five, it says to test everything, to hold on to what is good, to reject evil. And obviously this passage is specifically talking about prophecies, but I feel like there's a broader um, guiding principle Mm -hmm. that we can use for a lot of situations, which is test it, hold on to the good, get rid of the bad. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So like in maybe modern day language, don't delete your pictures and documents along with the viruses and malware, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and so I think, I think there's a, I, I think we're surrounded by this sort of cancel culture. Or if there's one one sentence or one thing that somebody says or does or does, you know, they don't agree with, then they just throw yeah. the whole thing out the window. Um, and I think that we really rob ourselves um, when we do that. So that be- <laughs> that being said, I feel like I can still recommend this book wholeheartedly. Um, first and foremost, to anybody who's reached their limits. Mm. Um, to anybody who is exhausted and overwhelmed, craving rest, whether that's physically, mentally, or spiritually, um, to anybody who's desperate for peace, Mm. for direction, um, for comfort, just for the love of God. Um, I would especially recommend it to people like me 
who are far more of doers, right? I have to frequently remind myself that we are not human doings. We are human beings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, I would recommend this book to anybody who, like me, um, maybe finds it difficult to always love their families well and consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd recommend it to anybody who is maybe alarmed or frustrated at their own sin and their own inconsistent living. Um, Basically, I'd recommend it to any Christ follower who wants to experience God, right? So yes, I think that this book is, is for everyone, but for especially those feeling sort of desperate and lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's certain things like some people might hear this podcast and be like, well, that sounds good. And then other people are going to hear this. They're going to be like, where is the link? I need this book right now. (laughs) I need it yesterday. Uh, Yeah. I appreciate that. And I appreciate what you said too, about first Thessalonians and that, that principle of, um, you know, throwing out the bad, you know, keeping the good, meditating on things, sifting through things. I think you're right. Like too often we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. I had, I had a guest on this season, Pastor Jason Blackley, who, um, he talked about reading things on purpose that he knows he's going to disagree with ahead of time. And that, that just, even when he does that, there's always a nugget of truth and it also like helps him understand others and be more empathetic. And so, uh, yeah, yeah. I do the same thing. And I would recommend books that I don't agree with either. Mm -hmm. I mean, strict, you can, you can find so much understanding where other people are Mm -hmm. coming from. You can Mm -hmm. even challenge some of your own ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, absolutely. I'm definitely in that camp of reading, uh, and finding the treasure, right? Yeah. Amen. Well, any last words, Melanie, that you wanted to share? I guess I would just say to anybody who is sort of got a lot on their plate, whether you're working bivocationally or whether it's just ministry or whether you've got, you know, families and kids and school and all these other extra obligations, you know, where you feel like you don't have, you you are doing everything you can. Um, it's, your life demands every ounce of energy, focus, priority, time management that you can muster. And you can't imagine like taking a whole day to retreat, you know, or you can't even imagine, right? You know, these 10 minutes, like you're the person who needs this, mm. right? Yeah. You're you, the one who needs it most of all. Right. Right. Um, and that's where Ruth was. That's where I was. That's where I am. You know, I have a lot on my plate and it's, it's in those seasons of life that that we need this more desperately than ever. Yeah. And so essentially you're saying if, if Melanie can do this, if Ruth, <laughs> if Ruth can do this, if Heather can do this, anybody can do this. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's and, awesome. And you won't regret it. I, I, there's just, there's no downside here. Well, I changed. No, the downside is that when you come back, you might have piles of laundry and dishes that your family left. Right. Right. <laughs> yes. No, but, um, but the there's no trade-off for what God does in our souls in, in the deep, deep places. That's good. It's worth it. It's yeah, worth absolutely. it. Melanie, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you being here. Yes, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining my conversation with Pastor Melanie Rassinen in this episode of Your Pastor Reads Books. Check out our show notes for links to the books and articles we mentioned. And if you want to support the podcast in spirit or with your bank account, you can subscribe to yprb.substack.com. That's yprb.substack.com. 
Or for more information about me, my coaching services, and other creative projects I'm working on, click around on my website at heatherweber.org. That's Weber with one B. Thanks so much, and I hope you enjoy a good book today.